Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode four, Technology and a Human Future. We are broadcasting live, live for us from the Bonhoeffer House Shed Quarters here in Rask, Bradford, Virginia. I'm your host, Reed Monahan, here with my co-host, Jesse Fury. Jesse, hey, Reed. Hey, thank you for hosting us today, man. Yeah, man, we are in the, we're in the global, <laughs> the global headquarters of the Bonhoeffer House. We're global because we are in Canada now. Canada and the U.S. We are in Canada, which is part of the globe outside of the U.S. Um, yeah, man, I'm glad to host today. I'm glad to host. One of the things when Jesse, when we first kind of got to know each other a little bit, we both realized we were going to be officing out of, he was already in a shed and I was building mine. And so I was like, man, that is really fun. We both have shed quarters. And so we took the uh, Gospel Underground on the road today uh, to the Bonhoeffer House Shed Quarters. Well, hey, man, tell us a little bit. If those are joining us for the very first time and maybe they didn't hear episode, uh, introduction episode about what the Bonhoeffer House is, why don't you refresh, refresh the people out there about what you do and what you do in this office? Yeah, yeah. Well, so the Bonhoeffer House is a, it's really more of a, a, a ministry training ideal that we were borrowing from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who uh, he started this underground seminary that was, it was underground because it was in resistance to the, to the Nazis and... The real Nazis, actual Nazis. Yeah, the real Nazis, that's right, and in and, uh, and the 30s and 40s, and... Uh, he wrote the book Life Together based on this idea of this, um, this theological development that happens uh, when we do life together. So, so what I'm doing is I'm directing this thing, which involves three distinctives, life together, theological formation, and ministry apprenticeships, which the ministry apprenticeships is probably the most unique thing about what we're doing. We're getting these guys that are coming in. They want to be church planters. They want to be pastors. And we're connecting them with with pastors and church planters who are who are who are craftsmen. They're swinging the hammer already, swinging an axe, swinging the axe. And and because you, you know what what we see seminary does really well is it gives guys tools. Right. But if you go and you go to Lowe's and you get loaded up with all your tools <laughs> right. and you right. show up to to the job site, you're not a carpenter yet. Yeah, that, just, that would be me, not knowing a clue yeah. what I'm doing with those tools there. But You've, you might have the greatest stuff, but you don't know how to how to put them into place. I have a concept of a hammer, a concept of a nail gun, but not not real skilled. Really. And you need someone that can show you how to swing yeah, it. Yeah. So we get these guys connected, and I just supervise this thing. I, yeah, so uh, awesome. it's it's fu- it's a fun experiment, and uh, we're seeing a lot of churches coming together uh, across typical denominational, you know, uh, networks, and and we're growing that network, and we're sending some church plants out. We've got a church that we planted in uh, in the Republic of Floyd, nearby <laughs> Floyd, Virginia. <laughs> I've been I preached at that church. <laughs> That's about right. A month ago, I think. Yeah. And uh, now we've since. Uh, Floyd's a small town for those of you out there who yeah. are familiar with Floyd. Yeah, look it up. It's a beautiful small town. At least it's not the People's Republic of Floyd. No, man. but it's got it's, it's it got a be. it's got a flavor out there. Yeah. yeah and then yeah. we've sent uh, Craig and Zoe up to Canada Land to plant a church outside of Calgary. Uh, Jonathan and Nikki and Drew and Leah. These are shout outs. Yeah, shout outs. Uh, big shout outs. They're being and featured. They're they're, <laughs> they're they're sent to Manchester outside of just in the a neighborhood in Richmond. 
And uh, we got more guys coming through and getting ready to be sent out. Awesome, so it's awesome. exciting. If I lived in Manchester, I'd be happy because I'm a fan of the Manchester United Red Devils. Well, man, this week's been fun. I, I just got back in town. We we were up in New Jersey for the weekend and just with some blessed people. Kind of a, a sad occasion. Uh, uh, my my daughter's best friend's father passed. He wonderful man, knew the Lord was mm-hmm. a was a world renowned fusion physicist. That's like. Fission is splitting atoms. Fusion's trying to put things together, create energy like the I sun. I knew that. Yeah, you knew that. Okay, oh. good. I'm just, my listeners out there. So he, he was a world-class plasma physicist uh, and a Sunday school teacher, follower of Jesus. Wonderful, wonderful witness. Incredible funeral. Uh, his three kids and wife now uh, c- carry on the mission of the family together. And we just were honored to be amongst all these people loving the Lord. Some really smart people. I felt really dumb around uh, lots of them. But it was great. Got to visit Jacob's Well, too, on Sunday. My kids said, hey— uh, can we go to our, to to our church? And so the church that was kind of birthed in our living room. Uh, How many born, years ago? Oh man, we were in the living room. Two thousand nine. They just turned eight. Uh, Jacob okay. Well, we launched two thousand nine. Turned eight. Was there for that wonderful living room. Great. We're so uh, proud of all our friends there and the leaders there. Continuing the mission of Jesus. Um, one of the things uh, people asked me when we were transitioning out of Jacob's Well, did did we think it was ready to go forward? without us there. And we, we said, well, we wouldn't leave if we thought that it was just going to have a die or something. So they're doing fantastic. We're, we're super grateful. And just, you know, seeing all friends and family from New Jersey, hearing the accents again was wonderful. Uh, my kids requested to go to Wawa. That's a big shout out for Northeastern people that know what Wawa is. That's like sheets, but worse, right? Yeah. yeah sheets, <laughs> but better is their technical. And that's a thing, actually. People debate sheets, Wawa. Yeah. It's not a debate. Uh, sheets is a suboptimal compared to Wawa. What's your week been like? <laughs> a lot of time well, been, uh, I've been getting made to order schmegels <laughs> left and right. Uh, <laughs> no, just hanging around here, man. Um, life's been good around here. I've been, you know, every free hour I've been working on this uh, re- reclamation, reclamation project that I've got going on in my back. My back porch was just falling apart. And uh, when we bought the house, it was in disrepair. And you actually know how to use the tools from Lowe's, which I've been impressed by. Yes, I used all the tools out there. <laughs> and, uh, we, you know, I actually I did all the framing and, and, and did the subfloors, but I hired someone to do the windows and doors. I just, just tired, Reed. Yeah, I hear you. Well, that's because you got little kids and another one coming. Another one on the way. You're always tired. We're tired for the rest of your life. When, when I meet somebody who's a 20-year-old guy who complains about how busy he is and how exhausted he is, I hug them. Do you wrestle them? them? I punch them, hug them, love them, and say, forgive them, Father. They do not know what <laughs> foot they speak. It only gets worse, friends. Have a bunch of kids. Get old. Your joints hurt, but uh, it's beautiful. Also a little bit ridiculous. Um, transition to our first segment of the day. One of the segments here on the Underground we're calling Ruts and Butts. R-U-T-S, B-U-T-S. Segment comes from a phrase out of the ancient philosophical work in our Bible, the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes. There's a phrase repeated often there. Uh, that says life under the sun, really life as we know it, as it is now. And man, life as we know it now has some things that are ridiculous under the sun. That's where we get our ruts from and beautiful under the sun. That's where we get our butts from. Well, we're going to jump in on this segment today and I'm going to handle something a bit ridiculous and Jesse is going to uh, drop the axe on something beautiful. Ridiculous thing of the day. I ran across an article on The Verge in July. It was, I've just labeled this section, mushrooms, like shrooms, don't do shrooms, uh, AI, artificial intelligence, and wisdom. This is an actual thing. You could get a smartphone app 
go out into the woods looking for mushrooms, point a phone at it, and it'll tell you whether the mushroom is poisonous or not. I'm out. I'm out on that. <laughs> I'm out on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so think about this. Uh, uh, actual uh, scientists that are mycologists and actual fungi foragers, they're worried about this, and rightly so, because they're saying this is a potentially deadly app. Okay, here's why. Part of the problem explains one Colin Davidson, who is a mushroom forager, I didn't know that was a thing, uh, with a PhD in microbiology. He says that to identify a mushroom, you can't just do it by pointing a smartphone camera at it. He says this, the most common mushroom near me is something we call a yellow stainer, he told The Verge, and it looks just like an edible horse mushroom from above and the side. But if you eat a yellow stainer, there's a chance you will be violently ill and become hospitalized. You need to pick it up, scratch it, smell it, know what it actually is. It will bruise bright yellow for those of you who are asking the question and will smell carbonic. I think that's a little acidic smell. So don't trust your artificial intelligence if you're going to eat mushrooms. That is ridiculous to do otherwise. Right. Hey, you right, know, right. by the way, there's a lot of mushroom foragers in Floyd. Are they really? Floyd? Lot, you, you, can find, you can just <laughs> yeah. run into them. Yeah, they're doing it. Do truffles. you like mushrooms? I do. I love them a lot. Okay. I cook them with butter, put them on meat. Love it. They're gross. That's a, you, you think they're gross? Yeah, they're <laughs> slimy and... Slimy and nasty. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't have to worry about yellow stainers. Listen, we're psychedelic ones. Don't touch those. What's beautiful out there, Jeff? Yeah, you know, um, I, want, I want you guys to check this guy out. All right, his name's Liam... Hoffman. I don't know Liam Hoffman. I assume he's a listener. <laughs> Shout out to Liam. Uh, this guy's like 25 years old. He's down in North Carolina, and he makes the most amazing axes. That's why we've been using axes. Yeah, he makes the most amazing axes. Liam Hoffman. It's Hoffman Blacksmithing. And uh, he, he's a guy who, um, according to his website, got into blacksmithing when he was a teenager and uh, I think he for the chicks because the chicks dig black right <laughs> in Western North Carolina. Yeah, it's actually it's not possible, far, I yeah. Think, from my uh, my in laws. And you got to go to this website. This stuff these these axes are amazing. I think I'm gonna buy a couple for my kids. You know, you have to get on a waiting list though. It's like 18 months, 20. Yeah. Months. So you put half down on the front end, and then you pay the other half when he's finished. And I think I might make a down payment on one of these or two of these uh, because they are. Everyone has to have a nice axe. Yeah. For sure. You know, because... These are all handmade, right? You might need to chop things down. (laughs) And uh, when you're a robot overlord, as we'll talk about, um, rebels, then you you need some kind of weapon that he can't control or she. Uh, Anyway, so, uh, yeah, these things are beautiful. Handmade. Um, You guys got to check this out. Hoffman Blacksmithing. Uh, I want you to, to... to check these pictures out, and I will I'll update you if I go all in on this. Hey, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll do a we'll do a something. butt update. He has a quote on his website that says, "One machine can do the work of fifty ordinary men, but no machine can do the work of one extraordinary man." That's Albert Hubbard, whoever that is, and that is a good segue transition to our discussing today of the rise of the machines. Right, it's gonna be the future soon. 
Uh, maybe it is the future today. Certainly things that were talked about in the 80s are kind of on the, uh, on the verge of happening today, uh, where the machines have risen. One of the things we talk about technology today, technology and a human future, we need to start with the beginning, that the world was created by God, and part of his wonderful creation was the forming and fashioning of other creatives, uh, mainly men and women created in the image of God. So over the centuries, people have created all sorts of things, works of art, ways to hunt, ways to farm, agriculture, tools that you can get at Lowe's or axes made by blacksmiths in the old school ways to take care of each other. Uh, we create pulleys, levers, wheels, tools for our enjoyment. Uh, we create things for, for and from our imagination. We've written poems, epic stories, radio dramas, film and television uh, works today, and comedies, right? Uh, we all love to laugh. We've created technologies, things that will help us with our work and things to make us marvel uh, at life and the things that God has made and to find enjoyment here under the sun. When we speak about t technology, there are a lot of things uh, that are just simply beautiful applications to life, but we do know there's an evil side to the creations of humanity as well. Uh, we can marvel at our communication and transportation technologies. Quite literally, you pick up your smartphone today, there are un unbelievable things going on there that would have been quite literally considered like magic, right, in years past. But we also have to pause and look at some of our other creations, the weapons of war and destruction that we have created, right? Swords, spears, catapults, cannon, the guns of August, machine guns, high explosives, bombs, missiles, nuclear warheads. We're worried about that today in the world. And Marvin the Martian, his Illudium Q33 space modulator, for those of you who have Looney Tunes fans. Well, today we come to this creation of humanity, of technology. Just uh, a month ago, I read uh, an article, listened to an actual dialogue uh, that was titled on the Atlantic, Ask Not What Your Robots Can Do For You. It's a good question. Be nice. We talked about last time being nice to our robot friends so they don't, uh, they don't take us out. Yeah, or, you, you got to be nice to Siri. Yes. My, my, my seven-year-old son, Elijah, he, uh, he'll ask Siri all kinds of questions, you yeah, know, yeah. and sometimes he'll, he'll tease Siri. You, you know, like he'll make fun of her. He'll say, um, him. "You can make Siri a him." By the way, our Siri is a her. And he'll say, um, "Hey Siri, do you have a butt?" Oh, you just, <laughs> I just, you just triggered. You just triggered. I just Siri. triggered Siri. Yeah. I'm afraid I don't have an answer to that. No answer to that. No answer. Useless. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and I always tell him, "You you need to stop teasing Siri. You need to be nice to Siri because one day Siri might be." Might be, in charge. <laughs> might be in charge. You want Siri world. to remember you fondly. That's right. That's right. You know, if Siri defeats Alexa and you got to, yeah, you, you, you want Siri to that's remember right. you that's were the right. nice that's kid. Right. And friends out there, you can email us at info at gospelunderground.org if we actually just triggered your phones, but through this podcast, <laughs> hopefully you're not driving or anything. We also see some things in the world, not just robots coming, but there's companies embedding microchips in their employees now. Freaking, Sign of the beast. Freaking out, you know, Jason Bourne type stuff, <laughs> freaking out the eschatology hacks. Among us, technology uh, occupies so much of our lives. And even next, our next major episode, our next big episode, about a month from now, we're going to have a friend on who's an actual technologist. He's an uh, electrical engineer, wire a wireless uh, technology expert. He's going to come on uh, the underground with us and talk about it. We could also talk about how technology influences us, our lives, our brains, our families, our churches. We'll probably do that at some point as well, Jesse, here on the underground. But today... I want us to talk about how we view the future in light of our creations. You know, growing up, there was all kinds of movies that I was exposed to and uh, films that, uh, you know, 
I probably should have been watching when I was a little kid, but um, films like Blade Runner, uh, films like the Terminator series, the, 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 the Cameron ones, James Cameron films, the first yeah. two are the best ones. Ter- Terminator 2 was the first R-rated movie I ever saw. And it is R-rated. And uh, <laughs> I remember my mom being very upset with my dad. Let you watch Oh, yeah. It's mainly violence uh, in language. Uh, in those it was movies. great. Yeah, Terminators, uh, or in the maybe in the rated G Pixar genre, we see movies like Wall-E, uh, where Eva and Wall-E kind of have their little romantic uh, love robot uh, saga in outer space. But we talk about the future, uh, even in uh, genteel movies like Wall-E. The world is trashed, right? The world is trashed. There, there's uh, a certain view of the future that's maybe not positive many times in our view of what our technology will do. If you do like The Terminator, by the way, uh, in July 2019, James Cameron's coming back to the series, going to make a new uh, Terminator film, and it's going to be directed by Tim Miller. Uh, a lot of people are excited about that. But here's what Cameron said recently in an interview about the, in, the, in The Hollywood Reporter. He said, what was science fiction in the 1980s is now imminent. It's coming over the horizon at us. The first two Terminator films that I did dealt with the angst, right, the anxiety around what, how we reconcile ourselves in a fantasy world. You know, in the 80s, that was a fantasy world that Schwarzenegger, you know, I'll be back, all that stuff. So, I, so he got excited about the idea of finding a story that made sense for now when we stand on the eve of people talking about machine learning, uh, artificial intelligence. The director who's been signed up, Tim Miller, said this, the first films are more relevant today than they were when Cameron first made them a lot of it seems like prognostication because it's coming to be in the world we live in right now there's a lot of things happening in the world of robotics i just this week i read an article on synthetic muscle breakthroughs to create more lifelike robots a little creepy but researchers at columbia uh in the engineering department have engineered a 3d printed synthetic tissue that can act as active muscle we'll put all these links in the show notes for you. And, and, the, and the article in, in Engadget read this way, building on their initial findings, the team of researchers plans to incorporate conductive materials to replace the need for connecting wires. Further down the line, they intend to combine it with artificial intelligence so it can learn to control muscles, resulting in what they hope movement in the natural environment. Welcome to Frankenstein's Robot Monster. Of course, the article on Engadget had the uh, prerequisite picture from the HBO artificial intelligent robot playground drama Westworld. The problem is, in our cultural treatments of technology, that mostly uh, are not utopian visions. Utopia, hey, let's imagine the perfect world. Most of these are dystopian, uh, that we're really quite afraid that we're going to create a technological hell of sorts in the future. We see this, right? The software sentinels in the matrix, they're not cool, right? They just want to kill anybody who wants to wake up out of the battery cases. Uh, replicants in, in the Blade Runner genre, they want to come, be truly alive and even killing, right, for their own survival. Uh, Skynet, when it becomes perfect at running stealth uh, fighters, becomes aware and then starts sending out Terminators into the future. There's some real good time uh, travel time, uh, paradoxes and contradictions in there. And even a- Isaac Asimov, the great uh, science fiction writer, realized robots would need laws. He created three laws of robotics uh, for us. Number one, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Number two, a robot must obey orders given to it by human beings. That feels good to us, right? Like, do what I say, robot. Uh, Except where such orders would conflict the first law to harm people. And then third, a robot must protect its own existence 
as long as such protection does not conflict with the first and second law. So if there's a conflict between a human going down and the robot going down, these are self-sacrificial robots that will be melted down for the sake of humanity. Now, the problem with these laws <laughs> you might quite readily see is that what happens when the robot thinks the greatest threat to humanity is humanity? Films like iRobot, Will Smith uh, movie, um, tease that out, or in the more kind of popular comic book movies, The Age of Ultron. You know, Tony Stark is making robots to protect the artificial intelligence system to protect the world. Uh, it becomes self-aware and says, well, the biggest problem that creates all these problems. We see this in The Matrix as well. Uh, the Sentinels think this. Uh, humans are the problem. So what's the solution? Well, wipe them out, all of them. Now, are these concerns from science fiction movies and films... Are these warranted? Is this just like crazy talk? Is this uh, unnecessary hand-wringing, so to speak? Well, some of these concerns, uh, I think, are warranted. For instance, Elon Musk. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Elon Musk, co-founder of PayPal. You might use that to pay for stuff. Tesla Motors, you know, electric cars, SpaceX, uh, solar-powered companies. This guy's like a modern-day living uh, Tony Stark. He has concerns with artificial intelligence uh, and super, what he calls super intelligences. He's, he's described uh, artificial intelligence or super intelligences as the biggest existential threat to humankind. And along with uh, over 100 other scientists, technologists, and roboticists, signed on to an open letter that was presented to the United Nations asking for an outlawing of what they called lethal autonomous weapons of war think a quadcopter you know you might send a drone up to you know take pictures or video our baptism thing like that think one of those with machine guns yeah that's terrifying to me (laughs) just the just the drone itself when uh we were flying a drone this summer with with my brother-in-law who's a drone videographer and when that thing comes down and is just kind of looking at you it's it's terrifying to think of it with machine guns is yeah so lethal, autonomous, that's a scary word, that it could actually decide by looking at you or what you look like or what you're doing to unleash you know, unleash the hounds on you, the weapons of war to fall upon you. Uh, the signers of this open letter to the UN wrote this. Once developed, lethal autonomous weapons will permit armed conflict to be fought at a scale greater than ever and at timescales faster than humans can even comprehend. These can be weapons of terror, weapons that despots and terrorists use against innocent populations, and weapons, this is scary, right? Yeah. Weapons could be hacked to behave in undesirable ways. And then they said this to him, we do not have long to act. Once this Pandora's box is opened, it will be hard to close. Think the, mo- the book, uh, the, the teenager book and the movie Ender's Game. Yeah, this is like the war games, yeah. Yeah, man, it's like... Hey, you're playing a video game, or or even in the most recent Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, the Sovereign like had these little pod, you know, piloted uh, warfare machines. Well, just think of these things could think themselves or be hacked, taking control of what havoc mm. could be done. So that's a, a reasonable concern that's actually being put on the floor of the United Nation. Or Bill Joy, some of you may have heard of Bill Joy. He was the co-founder of a, a company called Sun Microsystems. And he was the creator of the Java programming language. All the computer people know about that. He's been on the record uh, uh, very much concerned about things like self-replicating robots or, or nanobots, tiny little things that could multiply quickly and, and destroy stuff, um, eat the environment, You know, uh, bring up Guardians of the Galaxy 2, again, the gray goo from Ego taking over the world. And even um, recently, a TV show on NBC called Revolution 
kind of had this scenario where all the power grid was taken out and they didn't know why, but it turns out it was these nanobots, these tiny microscopic robot swarms that had kind of taken out the power system. So we have this fear, and I would say some of it's justified of losing control of our creations. You know, not, not perhaps uh, different than our previous generation having concern of our, us destroying ourselves with nuclear weaponry. Uh, like one of the creators of nuclear uh, warheads and nuclear bombs, J. Robert Oppenheimer. He found it appropriate on their research being successful to quote from Eastern philosophy when he exclaimed, I have become death, the destroyers of worlds. Well, amongst those uh, who love technology, I think I'm one of them. Jesse and I are sitting at a table with laptops and phones and microphones and headphones and all sorts of things that, that are really, really fun to play with. Uh, technology is good and has brought so much uh, wonderful things to humanity. Life under the sun is uh, made better, flourishes because of our technology. Uh, and there's so much that can be done, but we kind of give way to this thinking because some technology is good that somehow we should adapt everything. This is uh, something I hear a lot. I listen to several technology podcasts every week, and it seems like there's this idea out there that if we can do it, uh, we should do it. Or if it's uh, in motion, that there's no stomach stopping it now. Uh, I think that thinking is defeatist because we have to stop long enough to ask ethical questions about our use of technology. That's actually one of the things that interests me the most about all of this is with AI, we are, the world of ethics is being considered for the first time. I mean, there's like an explosion of interest in ethics that just hasn't been there. Yeah. You know, it, uh, these same, who, who gets to decide what the laws are even? Yeah. Uh, and when, when does a, when does a robot, when does an artificial intelligence become a person? When does it become uh, conscious? Yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm even things like, I want to ask you this. Yeah. If so, uh, questions like if your, if your robot asks not to be turned off, yeah. Can you still turn it off? Yeah. Yeah. You know, if Siri says, please don't turn me off. Yeah, please don't. Let, what do you do? What do you do, Reed? If Siri says, please don't turn me off. Snuff, snuff it out, man. I snuff her out. Now, yeah, these are, these are really interesting questions. And when you think about ethical considerations about technology, we also have to think about uh, the reality that we're putting ethic, our, our own ethical uh, considerations or our own morality or lack thereof morality into these robots. I mean, even Terminator 2, right? Don't you know, the little boy, John Connor, boy version, telling Schwarzenegger Terminator not to kill people, right? You had this kind of ethical thing right. he's trying to give to the robot. So when you program rules or, or, or ways that neural networks will evolve based on premises, right? Those first principles of ethics, we're giving to them. I mean, it just seems like we're not up to the task. Yeah. But, but there's all kind of ethical considerations coming. For instance, it's, it's totally, we think it's cool to hold in our hand, right? It, you know, Google's trying to organize all the world's information, give it to us in the palm of our hand. Um, why not directly connect it to your brain? Somebody, I'm going to jack in, I'm going to plug my head into uh, the internet, so, so to speak. Brings up questions of justice, right? Are we going to have these rich cyborg overlords or uh, genetic engineering on the terms of, you know, we, we could look at uh, biotechnology. Are we going to create 
better people. Can we even define that was? I think of the uh, Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman film, Gattaca, where certain people are genetically bred uh, to be suited for certain kinds of works and, and faith births, like births with man and woman having a baby without planning it all out genetically is, is frowned upon. Uh, these ideas from like Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, right, where people are created for certain tasks, even further back in a less technological way, Plato's Republic, where people are suited for certain things. Do we create robots or cyborgs that rule us? Do we create these perfect uh, the genetically engineered beings? There's actually an engineer named Ray Kurzweil, a brilliant uh, computer scientist, uh, who actually created a lot of uh, our uh, text-to-speech technology where like things can be read to you, machines created for uh, people like Stevie Wonder, actually. Ray Kurzweil was involved with that to create things that could help blind people to read. Wonderful technology. He, uh, he actually has this view where there's a, a point he calls uh, the singularity where computer intelligence will outstrip our own uh, and then the, the, we'll all be software running in machines. And he's literally, he works for Google now, Ray Kurzweil. He's literally trying to stay alive long enough. He's in kind of all this longevity, eating certain ways and drinking the green juice and all this stuff. So he can stay alive long enough to upload his consciousness, uh, if that were possible. I don't think it is actually, uh, into a machine so he can live forever. Uh, or there's physicists like a guy at Tulane named Frank Tipler who's trying to merge technology future visions with some biblical theological com, uh, you know, conversations. He's written a book called The Physics of Christianity with some really strange, bizarre stuff in there. So we have to talk about what we're doing uh, when we augment ourselves or create better, whatever better is, uh, human beings, even as we move forward. Or concerns, these, these, I think, for our listeners, Jesse, will be much more practical. Um, the technology for self-driving autonomous cars and vehicles, already done. Uh, we could do it tomorrow. Uh, or trucks. Um, think about it. The transportation sector, you know, truck, truck shipping all around, filling our stores, grocery stores, all that stuff is done by people. What if that could instantly be eliminated tomorrow? You had millions of people replaced by self-driving vehicles. Uh, what does that mean for society? Some solutions being put forth out there. Uh, well, let's give everybody 500 bucks a month or something. A universal, you know, general income. We'll all get rich from our robots and sit around and uh, on our little floating space pads, watching our entertainment, drinking our protein shakes like the guys with no bone density on the ship in Wally. -E, right? Can't walk anymore. Can't walk anymore. Have to go back to the planet and plant something. Uh, so the question that I want to kind of move to is that why, with all this technology, why should we prefer, actually want, actually desire to have a future that is human? Uh, why shouldn't we buy into visions? I read this years ago. Um, from a, a guy at Carnegie Mellon, a roboticist named Hans Moravik. He said it's our duty, like it's our it's somehow our job as human beings, to fulfill evolution, as if evolution is something that has a direction to it, like it's getting better or something. Uh, fulfill evolution by creating our own mind children. Like we want to create, eliminate ourselves to make a better future by creating our own robot. Why would we want to do that? So what I want to argue for today is a human future for the world. Now, some of us take this for granted, perhaps. There are always going to be human beings. Uh, but l I, th I really do think we need to prefer, prefer and work towards a human future. Now, why do I believe that? Well, the reasons are, are, are theological in nature. Uh, when we ask the question, what is a human being, right? Um, or what are human rights and who should have them? These are not givens. These are not questions that you're like, oh, yeah, we know what a human being is. Um, many times in kind of secular thinking, 
Uh, a philosophy called functionalism is used to describe what a human being is. Well, a human being is based on what we can do. Uh, we can think, or we have emotions, or we can feel pain, uh, or we're sentient is a word that's often used. But if we just define what a human being is functionally, we run into all sorts of problems. Like if someone's brain is incapacitated, or someone has uh, a disability, or uh, different numbers of chromosomes, like Down syndrome children, like uh, in Iceland we've all been reading how through abortion just eliminating uh, a, a whole group of people, human beings. So functional definitions, a human being is a human being if it can do certain things, is very, very problematic. So we, how do we ground what a human is and why should we prefer a human future? Well, human beings, uh, the scriptures teach us, are, are made in the image of God. In other words, they were cr we were created and not the same as a blob of goo turning into a robot on our own laboratory tables that because we're made in the image of God, we're valuable. Uh, I think, and I think that's, that's something that's so important because no one knows how to, like you said, no one knows how to define a human being. And, uh, and, but we go crazy for quote human rights, which we should, right? Exactly. And, you know, I was listening to this uh, debate between a computer scientist, a philosopher, and um, I think the other person was a computer scientist too, about AI. And, and really, there's, the, there's no consensus about what makes a person a person. Or, or conscious. Or, yeah, and so one of the, one of the things is uh, consciousness, the, that self-awareness perhaps, um, or even the ability to, uh, to, div to, to divide the world and, and assign meanings to things, which I think th those are all helpful, but there's no there's no agreement about about what what is the right standard for right. this thing is now a human right. and and i think that has implications for the unborn for even young babies uh, yeah. there are certain things that certainly racial things right. where people have been classed as less than human by one group of people which is why the tribe yeah. race the other right yeah the imago dei the, the image of god provides such a strong foundation for us that i think is worth holding on to that's right uh, and it has implications horizontally as far as how we treat one another and how we view one another, and we see the 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 inherent value and dignity of of different colors and ethnicities and cultures. Uh, but it also helps us when we're trying to then make sense of right. when does Siri become yeah, a person? Yeah. And and yeah, yeah. A, a theological or or even spiritual grounding of human nature in an essence. Uh, philosopher speaks of essences or being right, uh, is so essential because it, it gets past, um, well, this one's smart, this one's not, uh, this one's white, this one's black, this one's green, this one's yellow, uh, this one's very small and in the womb, this one's 82 and no longer valuable to society, so we'll just put that one away. Um, we have to have something that transcends these things. Otherwise, we've seen over and over and over again, uh, human beings are only valued for their utility yeah. or their usefulness to me or us, God forbid, or their financial capability. So we're made in the image of God. We ground our essential nature in our created nature from God. We also have a role in the world with God in being image of God. We care and cultivate the creation. And so I do think we should create things and create technologies that will be useful. Uh, human beings are called, Ephesians 4 teaches this, uh, to do something useful with our hands so that we'll have something to share. That implies a human future as well. And I think more than anything, uh, the centrality of love and relationships 
that human beings were made for, relationship with God, who's a relational God, Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Uh, and we are relational creatures designed, male and female, to love one another, even to create children together, nurture, raise people in community together. A human future is a future that's founded in love. And the kingdom of God, certainly, the ultimate future will not be a dystopic slice of hell, uh, but for those who know and trust the Lord, a human future of light, love, truth, and justice. Uh, so this idea of intimacy and relationality uh, is one of the reasons why we prefer a human future. And now I know there are you know, movies like Her where jo- Joachim Phoenix or whatever is falling in love with uh, you know, his operating system of his phone or his ubiquitous AI that talks like what is actually doesn't talk like, but is Scarlett Johansson's voice and falling in love. But embodied... Uh, love between humans uh, is made by God and, and something to be desired in the future. And tragically, Jesse and I came across an article this week about uh, android sex robots being sold in Europe now uh, for future um, self-gratification. And, and that's such a loss when God made us for face-to-face intimacy uh, with humans and one another. So how, do you, how are we to think about certain technologies, uh, specifically when this line between what is human or what is conscious or what is life, uh, how do we think about that? Well, in the 1990s, we were thinking about cloning because, you know, you clone a sheep. What does that mean? Well, we've always had clones, uh, identical twins. They've always existed. They're fully human. Uh, I think we need to be away from creating these uh, human meat lockers where I, like, maybe create my clone, hang them in a, a locker so when I abuse my liver too much or something, I get a new one out of them because uh, clones are actually human persons. And theologically, uh, that's very easy to see, spe- specifically certain views of the soul, uh, like traducianism, where the, the, the soul is passed on from parents uh, into the next generation. Um, what about robots? Yeah, I think we should make robots uh, for cre- care for creation and stewardship. Uh, but just because a robot can function like a person doesn't make us make it a human. And I, I, by the way, I want my robots to look like a robot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't want to be confused yeah. about whether yeah. or not it's a human. Yeah, yeah. It needs for to sure. look like a robot for sure. For sure. Um, one of the things with robots, right? Um, it might look like a human. It might even do like we know. There's machines and computer systems that can play chess. Even the the Korean game Go, uh, which you know I, I think Google's AI just has been winning Go games in Go this year. Or pass what you know called the Turing test, that Alan Turing, uh, named after Alan Turing, where if a hu- uh, if an AI chatting with you, maybe you know certainly Facebook Messenger chatbots can't do this, but if you're chatting with an AI and you can't tell the difference between a person, it quote unquote passes the Turing test. Even if all hmm. that's true, we're still dealing with simulating human intelligence and not dealing with the same thing as the essence of a human being. I think robots will be folded into our communities and used for the good and flourishing of human beings. But your point, Jesse, I think is really good. And it really reminds me of a movie um, where you don't have to make robots that look like you know, little boys or little kids, which is creepy. You know, it's like a Chucky doll coming down your hallway or something, man. But the movie Interstellar, which kind of has a weird ending. It's also a dystopic future where we're destroyed everything. And Matthew McConaughey has to go out and save the world. And I'm not going to give away the ending if you've not watched Interstellar. But they have a robot in there named TARS. 
Uh, Tars is great. He exists to serve and help humans. He responds to human commands, obeying Isaac Asimov's laws there. Um, he has variable settings, including adjustments to his humor level. Oh, turn that up. Yeah, turn that up. Make some jokes, right? Uh, a philosopher and two computer scientists walk into a bar. What do you think, Tars? Um, it's not anthropomorphic. In other words, it doesn't look like a little kid. It's a square rectangle uh, of a machine. Um, now, there are these things out there today being made. I think the company's name is Boston Dynamics that are kind of like trying to make factory worker robots. And they were doing some uh, Department of uh, Defense work where these uh, robots that look like uh, animals, man, those things are scary. They look like Terminators. We don't have to go that direction uh, to create our robots. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, I don't like it either. But here are the big questions we'll, we'll close up on. There are questions that we have to wrestle with of justice. Like, who gets to have robot slaves? Is that just an economic issue? Um, if we're trying to jack our brain into the Internet, who gets to do this? Is it a matter of just money, uh, wealthy technocrats, uh, tech, technological supremacists uh, even? Yeah, you know, um, I just heard that Mercedes, they're, they're self-driving cars. They're programming to when, when you have to make when the, when the car has to make the decision about whose life to preserve who yeah they're they're programming their cars to make the decision to preserve the driver's life above any other lives like a school but classical illustration school uh, bus full of kids or someone walking you got yeah. a pedestrian crossing yeah, yeah, yeah. and and uh and if you can't <laughs> you know if you can't if you can't avoid hitting that person right. without putting the driver in danger, then you hit the person. You hit the person, and I think whether they're in a crosswalk or not, right? And yeah. and, and, and Golly, I think and, yeah. which I think those will sell well. Yeah, because Mercedes drivers, right? They deserve to live exactly, and and it really gets at the question of: Is it right that someone who's wealthy enough to buy a Mercedes, his his life or her life is more valuable than the than the guy who yeah. can't afford a car at all? And he's walking on the, on the side of the road, and yeah. so it, it really does tie into these questions of justice. Yeah, the, and these questions in, in terms of human community, governments, you get mass unemployment from the robot overlords or the technocrats in Silicon Valley. I mean, my goodness, we could have another kind of revolution on our hands for sure. So these questions have to be asked, questions of justice, questions of justice. And then claims uh, claims about our own human nature, what a human is, as we've already discussed. We want to stay with this essential human nature that human rights are gained to all members of the human family by the nature of what we are, intrinsically valuable as life created in the image of God. And then certainly I love questions about you know, our own creative capacity. I think this really points to the reality of a creator. Um, and even like the, the narrative of the Bible, where human beings were created to be in relationship with God and cultivate the earth with God, be in community with God for His purposes, but yet sin is a turning aside of what, to what we want instead of what God wants, both in our attitudes and our actions and what we do on the earth. This rebellion, right, this rebellion uh, that's in the biblical narrative it has been written into many science fiction narratives. I, I did watch Blade, Blade Runner again. Uh, in the, the scene where this replicant, this high-end model, actually kills his creator. Um, not unlike you know philosophers like Friedrich Nietzsche who said God is dead and we have killed him. He's bled to death under our knives. I think we're as we expand our own creative abilities and creating other beings, so to speak. It points loudly and clearly that we ourselves were created, and then will we be reconciled to our Creator, or will we pick up the knives as the human fu human history is full of? So we want a human future. 
not one that's a dystopic, uh, crazy world dominated by robots that want to kill us, overlords or protectors or masters, whatever <laughs> we'll call them. Uh, and I do believe, Jesse, there is a path to embrace technology and a path where we see it help us uh, heal, protect, and lead to human flourishing and not to the destructive impulses of our sinful nature. I do believe that we can have robots to the glory of God helping us to love and serve others and for us in Jesus' name. Yeah, and you know, um, one thing I've been thinking about with all of this, and it's not just with this, with, uh, with racial and social justice and, and the image of God and how important that is with um, with, uh, you know, assisted suicide, with abortion. We, we live in, you know, when you look back historically, there's like eras where certain things are theologically, I'm now kind of yeah. in the theological world, yeah. and theologically there are there are eras where the early church was, there. the debates were about the, the, the debates were about Christ. Yeah. Who, who was he? Was he fully right. God? Was he fully man? Um, did, did he live... Did he did he come into creation? Did he was he a created being or right. or is he uh, is he eternal? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Then then you have questions about the Trinity and there's. It, it, I feel like we are in the era where hundreds of years from now people are going to look back and say this was the era of anthropology, yeah. where where really the theological concepts that are that are most they're gonna they're gonna shape our at least the church's response to the world whether it be a response that gains traction or a response yeah. that just speaks prophetically in the minority. Yeah. We are in the era of anthropology. So if you're if you're a young theologian out there, yeah, yeah. anthropology is, you know, who who we are, the image of God. Th- this is yeah. this is the cutting edge for us now. This is where the councils and you see this even with like the Nashville statement, yeah. which yeah. for uh I won't say what I think about it except for to say this is the time where people are going to be needing to make statements about yeah, who is a human, yeah. uh, what makes us human, yeah. uh, where do we where do we source our humanity, and, and who gets to say yeah, what makes yeah, us yeah. human? So, Absolutely. Uh, just an interesting, you know, an AI probably. This whole thing that we're talking about today may have even more in the future. Yeah. Uh, well, you, yeah, we, we have a glo- We have a more. The world's always been global, and and societies always o- overlap through trade and things. Now we're living together uh, more rapidly and more readily, and so finding our joint and shared humanity is is essential. Just you know, for loving one another as the human human race, and certainly the the assets and resources that we have from say uh, the theological tradition that told us that Jesus is fully human, right? That God, the one who created the world, would value enfleshed humanity so much to become one of us. Um, I think that then imported into our anthropology. So it says that we're valuable, man, yeah. and that has to transcend race and tribe and culture, uh, even sexuality, even uh, what does it mean to be a human when we have these other creations walking down the street next to us? Um, I think it's very important. I think you're right on with that. And so grounding that in something that transcends matter uh, and and DNA and functioning, yep. I think, is so important. Uh, even the early, the early tragedy of the 20th century with, you know, saying that, um, certain people weren't valuable enough or certain people were less evolved. Uh, racial theories that were mixed with Darwinism and things early on. Um, certainly, uh, to transcend those things, we have to uh, 
uh, see the way God has made us with yeah. this essential spiritual spiritual nature. Well, we're not done fully with technology because it's in our lives and in our world. Uh, we won't talk about it every episode, but next month we are going to welcome in uh, a brother named Michael Burer, who's a professor of electrical, electrical engineering and wireless technology at Virginia Polytechnical Institute and State University, more popularly known as the Virginia Tech Hokies. We'll see if they beat Clemson this weekend or not. Well, Mike runs the mobile and portal, portable radio research group uh, within the wireless at Virginia Tech umbrella in the engineering school there at Virginia Tech. And he He's going to come on the underground. We're going to ask him a bunch of questions. And Jesse and I have taken the liberty of uh, nicknaming Mike, right? Because we're talking on microphones. Uh, Michael Burer, Mike, uh, works uh, works in wireless technology. So what are we going to call him? There's a lot of layers here, yeah, but we're calling him Wireless Mike. He's going to be our wireless Mike on the Gospel Underground. I've known yeah. Mike for, gosh, I've met Mike in the, the late... 90s, I believe, when Casey and I lived here. We were in a small group together at our church. Mike is a committed scientist and engineer and also a committed follower of Jesus who's very... He's, he's brought in as expert witness for a couple of companies like Apple, right, uh, to talk about the, the wireless uh, feuds with uh, Samsung, things like that. He won't be able to talk about that on the underground with <laughs> us, but he will be able to talk about the state of technology uh, with us in a way that I think will be relevant and certainly fascinating for us. Well, as we close today, Jesse, we're going to do another one of our segments. We had ruts and butts earlier. Well, today we're going to do uh, in or out. And this feature for us is just, uh, we're going to list a few things, maybe related, maybe unrelated to our discussion for the episode. Uh, and you'll have the option, my brother, to go in on this, say whatever you like, or just stay out of it. And mm. We'll move on to the next one. So in or out, I'm going to ask you, number one, I've seen many churches claim to have church quote online i just go to church online i watch Mm -mm. it on my phone i stay in my pajamas i got a chat room window i can take digital communion with my little avatar it's like minecraft communion are you Mm. in or out you want to go in on this or stay out i'm i want to go in on this to say how much i'm out on this Ah, very this is not church you you don't do church online and here's why there's well there's a lot of reasons why one reason why is because Hebrews 10 tells us to, to not neglect meeting together, embodied presence. A, embodied presence together. But I think the most profound reason why we, we can't have church online is because the incarnation, yeah. right? So I think the incarnation has, has it, it affects everything. What we, were, what we were already talking about, about... It's docetic. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, well, the Son became a man... And he came and he dwelt among us and with us. He became an embodied person. Mm-hmm. And, and then he constituted this church that, he, that was all about leaving behind their life one time a week to gather together on the morning. And, you know, they, they changed the, the morning of worship Saturday from... Saturday Sabbath to Sunday resurrection. That's right, worship. to Sunday morning. Yep. So they gather together on the morning that Jesus rose in person. And part of that is they're able to pass the peace of the gospel to one another. They're able to... We, we were able to remind one another that we have been united in Christ yeah, through faith. Yeah. And, and so we, we need to be embodied. Now, listen, I, I get if you're a service person, you're overseas, there are certain exceptions where we can praise God for the technology yep. of being able to... Someone's injured, can't get, get That's get, right, get that's there. right. Yep. Someone is stuck at home and... and use the technology, have the church mobile app, listen to the podcast. But man, if you just want to sit in bed and kind of stay in your pajamas and sip, sip a latte or something, get... Go to church, you yeah, turkey. Yeah, all, all, you, all you church leaders out there, uh, put your stuff online, give it away free, but don't replace. Yeah, it's not church. People of God. All right, in or out, Jesse. Are you in or out on NFL uh, player protests before football games? I'm so in on this that I'm out. Here's why. Can we do, an, can we do another 
episode on this? Let's, Let's do, do an episode on this. So I'm out because gonna, I want to be take, in. We're gonna I want to spend time we're on take this. take a knee on this one so we can go fully yes. in with another episode. Look for that here in the next couple of weeks about NFL player protests before football games. All right, in or out, Jesse, on this. Okay, machine learning software systems that can tell if a person is gay or not by looking at a photograph. In or out? Out. <laughs> That is a thing, guys. Look it up online. Jesse's out on that. Okay, boy bands as a concept. Okay. Um, you go. Yeah, in on I'll that? go in. Um, listen, you know they're cheesy, but here's what I like about boy bands. Oh yeah, he's going in. What I like about boy bands is there's something kind of I don't know pure about boy bands because. <laughs> Pop music is supposed to just make you feel good. Right, right, right. And, um, you know, listening to Bye 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 just makes you feel good. <laughs> I'm drinking Bye again right now <laughs> uh, on the Gospel Underground. Yeah, um, you know, and, you know, uh, Justin Timberlake came out of a boy band, so they can't be all bad because <laughs> Justin Timberlake's like the coolest guy in the world. But He can dance. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, not my cup of tea, but I think there's some, some there, I like the lighthearted, fun, pop music they light and so, up the world yeah. like nobody else no no i mean <laughs> i'm just in on the concept i'm not okay, in on yeah. any of them okay he's not in so we don't have to take away his man card but as a concept yes boys used to you got sing, a card sing it away i did get a card okay. okay next question uh buying a robot in the future uh instead of having children if you can't have children obviously everybody can't but uh, if you were making a choice between having kids or buying the robot kid in or out on this let me go in for just a minute here uh <laughs> I think that this is part of the reason why AI is so um, interesting to our culture and, and such a desire is because we don't really want to have kids because kids are messy. You can't make a perfect kid. You, you know, like it's not like um, uh, you can do some sort of programming and then your kid comes out and they, they just listen to you and obey and do the things you want them to do. And so I, I think that this is a real thing that's going to happen yeah, i think a lot that, easier like get yeah. a dog not a kid get a yeah. robot not get a, a robot not a kid and you can pour your affections into it but it won't talk back and so uh you know it's scary and i think it's i think it's bad it's a bad dire- direction to go in but um it's i think it's gonna i think it's gonna happen and there was the actual steven spielberg movie in 2001 called ai, AI. a robot boy AI. all right last one <laughs> as we wrap up today in or out uh, would you share with us your favorite science fiction movie? In or out? Well, I'm in. You're I'm in. in. You know, you. Um, surprisingly, my favorite science fiction movie probably is Wall E. Wonderful. So uh, now, listen. I, Terminator Two. I love Terminator <laughs> Two. It, it's probably right up there. And um, and Interstellar. So some people hate Interstellar. I like it. And I didn't watch it for a long time. I like it except for the very end. Yeah, the it's, end is the end a is a little weird. bit, uh, yeah, a little self salvation. That's right. Bit, yeah. And um, I had I had like an emotional response to watching. I'm I'm embarrassed to admit this. Yeah, but I cried with my daughters. Man, that's a daughter dad. Yeah, movie. I was oh thinking about gosh. my daughter. I was yeah. watching it on a date with my wife Jenny, and oh, yeah. she she had to like check on me. Are you okay, yeah. honey? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm okay. Okay, so, uh, but I, I go Wally. I love it. I love, um, you know, some people think that Wally is like the story of, uh, you know, it's written by um, environmentalists or something because the whole idea is they're saved by plants and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they, they, they destroy the, yeah. But man, it's really, it's really a story about self sacrificial love, right? Yeah. 
and uh, and I also get emotional every time I see Wally go underneath Wally. that thing and get crushed while he's saving all of the people. Save and, for the whole family. Yeah, I love Wally. Deep philosophical themes, gospel redemption kind of narratives in there. Great writer. I think Andrew Stanton of Pixar was involved in that movie. Fantastic. Good movie. Great way to end being in on Wally. Well, as always, we give our thanks and gratitude to Sugar and the High Lows for allowing us to license the song See It For Yourself as our theme song. And hey, check out the futuristic, dystopic, and very funny music of Jonathan Colton, who you heard earlier in this podcast already. Check him out at jonathancolton.com. He gives away his music free to podcasters. Check him out. Gospel Underground is a joint production of Power, for Power of Change and The Bond. Hopper House room there headquarters right now. Send your comments, feedback, and questions as always to uh, info at the gospelunderground.org. Info gospelunderground.org. We may take up your question on our live podcast here. We are dialogue taking place in the borderlands between the church and culture, and we hope to see you there. And to close today, we have a special guest in honor of Christmas music. This is one of my family's favorite Christmas songs with the theme of robots, artificial intelligence, and technology. I'll play us out with the favorite holiday tune, Merry Christmas from Chiron Beta Prime. Peace. This year has been a little crazy for the Andersons. You may recall we had some trouble last year. The robot council had us banished to an asteroid that hasn't undermined our giant metal Santa Claus who watches over us with glowing red eyes. They carry weapons and they know if you've been bad or good. Not everybody's good but everyone tries. And the rocks outside the airlock exude ammonia scented snow. It's like a winter wonderland. Merry Christmas from Chiron Beta Prime where we're working in a mine Protectors, Merry Christmas, Chiron Beta Prime. Rejected. Now it's time for Christmas dinner. I think the robot sent us a pie. You know I love my soil and green. Merry Christmas from Chiron Beta Prime. Where we're working in a mine for our robot overlords. Did I say overlords? I meant for
Collectors. Merry Christmas from Chiron Beta Prime.